Hello and welcome to the Media and Marketing Podcast sponsored by MWW. My name is John Reynolds, a host. This week I'm joined by the two Matts. So later in the podcast we have an interview with Matt Schechner, who is the founder of Advertising Week Europe and chief, chief executive of Advertising Week, which is obviously a global brand. So he dropped in to see us this week. Um, obviously Advertising Week in Europe is coming up in a few weeks. So he talked about what its attendees can expect this year. Uh, this year. Uh, it's now in its sixth year in London and again will be primarily based at the Picture House. Um, I think certainly the um, it might be a bit as though it's, the event's actually plateaued. Certainly the opening, opening gala which this year is at Vogue House is at a smaller venue than previous years uh, where it's been hosted at St Paul's for example and the impression I got from talking to Matt was basically the event may not be getting any better this year. Um, that said, Advertising Week Europe has obviously cemented its place in the advertising calendar. Um, so during the interview, he also talks about lots of other things. He talks about the impact of a Trump presidency and its impact on brand America. He also talks about what's happening in America in terms of a gender pay gap in the advertising industry and also uh, the future of the Advertising Week brand um, uh, also, uh, but before before that, we're actually joined by another Matt, which is Matt Tiemann, who is the managing director of Prime Site, the outdoor advertising company, uh, which made a turnover of over fifty million in twenty sixteen and profits of around two point six million. So thanks a million for joining me, Matt. I guess most of the listeners will know what Prime Site does, but maybe not maybe not all. So can you just give us a a brief outline of what Prime Site does and a potted history of your own career today, and also. Uh, if you're going to Advertising Week Europe this year. Okay, uh, thank you, John. So uh, I won't necessarily uh, take all those questions in the order you present them. So um, I've been in PromSite for about 18 months now. Uh, prior to that, I've spent a big chunk of my career, as I think you know, uh, working for the BBC, BBC Worldwide, uh, sure. across brands such as Good Food, Radio Times, Top Gear, uh, uh, before we then uh, sold that business uh, to Immediate Media, private yeah. equity. And then prior to joining here, I had a spell at Metro as yeah. commercial director, and then, uh, say, before I joined here, I was at Bloomberg as commercial director across the uh, EMEA business. Um, in answer to your question, Prime Site, well, we've been around about 25 years. Uh, yeah. We're a, a major player in the out of home uh, area. We have over 30,000 billboards, if you add yeah. them all up, uh, and we focus our attention really in sort of large format roadside. Uh, where we're a big, big player, the major player uh, in classic, uh, with Network Rail being our, our sort of biggest landlord. Uh, but we also now have uh, an extensive part of our estate is, is served by uh, cinema. Uh, we recently won the BT tender for 19,000 phone kiosks. Yeah. Uh, and in recent years, we've really focused uh, our attention around the airport environment, uh, where we now serve four of the big five UK airports. Okay. And what about Adweek Europe? Are you going this year? We are going this year. Yeah, I've, I've been involved in Adweek pretty much from the start. Yeah. Uh, I, I've uh, worked for a, a number of different businesses, actually, and done different things at Adweek, depending yeah. on, on what our objectives were. But I, I think it was, I think the industry was crying out for, for an event like that. And I think Matt and team and, and Kathleen have done a fantastic job in really establishing it. Uh, I think with all things like that, it quite often needs a refresh, yeah. Um, and I think each year they've uh, they, they've tried to do that. I I've done different stuff there. I've uh, when I was at Bloomberg, we were involved in uh, sponsoring a number of the sessions, yeah. And um, we actually uh, gave sort of live coverage, live live TV coverage. 
Last year I interviewed Chris Eubank, which was a completely sort of yeah. different uh, uh, kind of execution. This year we're focusing our attention around our airport media. Yeah. Okay. We're going to be doing uh, four days of flight simulation, running a competition, really trying to sort of drive awareness to a broader UK audience. Uh, I don't know too much about the full agenda, but I know no. a lot of the major players are still involved. Okay. And how does that mean you still go to Cannes too? They're not sort of exclusive those two? You, you, no, we still go to Cannes, okay. yeah. Um, we, had, we had quite a lot of promotion for the InLink product last year in Cannes. We sponsored the campaign party cool. and we also took the campaign uh, cover wrap. So uh, I think they're, they're two very different events, as you know. But uh, no, I, I think uh, Ad Week will uh, be around for many years okay. to come. I think, uh, like anything, as I say, it needs it needs refreshing mm. um, year after year, and I think that's that's what the aim is. Okay, let's hope so. So you mentioned, now you alluded to it there. The main reason, the news hook while you're here today is to talk about the the B, BT contract which you won in 2016, yeah. which these effectively what I like to call the digital phone boxes of the future. So you've just installed the hundredth one, is that right? Or? Yeah, we're we're celebrating that this week. Uh, we've actually got more than a hundred in the ground. Uh, okay, we're turning on the last few in the next next day or so. Uh, very exciting uh, yeah. moment, really. We, we've been uh, working on this project, well, certainly since I arrived. Yeah. Uh, the commitment uh, was really to get around 80 in the ground last year, so converting a number of, of hand-picked kiosk and BT6 uh, sites into the in-link units. Mm -hmm. uh, we made a huge amount of progress. It's, it's been quite a challenging product, uh, project, sorry. Uh, lots of conversations with councils to require planning and mm. consent. I think it's probably on average taken us twice as long as we thought. But that said, we're now in five, nearly six boroughs. So, Would you, sorry, just to, sorry, just for the listeners, explain what the kiosks actually do then. So the the, the kiosks are kiosks, sorry, are, are, are a smart city solution yeah. to a phone box of the future. So in essence, they are an ad-funded product now. Two fifty-five inch digital screens. Yeah. Uh, per kiosk, per unit. They're about three metres high. Okay. And effectively to the consumer, they offer free calls to landline or mobiles, and they offer super fast Wi-Fi up to one gig, which to you and I means you can download pretty much anything to your phone in two or three uh, minutes max, uh, a film probably 30 to 40 seconds, uh, as well as fast, uh, fast uh, phone jacks to charge mm -hmm. your phones. There's a tablet on each of the inlinks which help uh, with city navigation, and uh, there's obviously the sort of typical 999 emergency calls. So, really exciting product. Part, part of a JV that we secured with a business uh, from the mm. US, Intersection, who are uh, actually a, a, an Alphabet Google backed business. They now have 1,300 of the units in New York and Manhattan. Mm. Uh, it's quite an established uh, product over there now. Uh, as I say, we, we're looking to bring probably about 450, but 450 in the ground by the end of 2018. Right. I thought, was it 750 you originally targeted? Yeah. Oh, I might have got the wrong. Okay. Really, really by uh, okay. the end of next year. Okay. So it's, it's a city-focused it city product. So who would it appear? I mean, who would, who's using it at the moment then? I mean, because most people have mobile phones, don't they, I guess? They do. It's, it's interesting. We've got uh, some stats. Obviously, as we rolled it out, we haven't, sure. whilst we, I think we've got officially 93 active today. Yeah. Uh, really, there's probably an average of about 35, as you know, we've ramped up quite quite considerably in the last sort of month or two. Okay. The fact is, we've got over 40,000 Wi-Fi users. Uh, you know, the mm -hmm. people are using it for for phone calls. 
Uh, we've got a number of tablet sessions that we've got data on. So, so the good news is that it really is proving to be a smart city solution, yeah. which is kind of the positioning of, of the product. Uh, we've done some recent survey on eye tracking, which would suggest that actually uh, the advertising on it is, is more visible than some of the competitors out there, yeah. albeit a relatively small sample size at this stage. So we're, we're, really, we're really excited. We think it's a product with a point of difference. We think it serves uh, a number of different markets in terms of uh, you know, awareness of stuff going on in the city. We're, we're mm. looking to develop the proposition so it would be more than just an ad product as we see it, you know, just a billboard product. And who's, who's advertising on it at the moment then? Good sweep. We've had uh, our first advertiser with Coke, yeah. uh, but we've, we've had a really broad sweep of, of different clients from O2, Warner, Debenhams, uh, Barclays, Virgin, so big, big blue chip businesses uh, and companies, uh, and hopefully we're looking to, to extend that over the, over the coming year as we roll more units out. And I was reading on the BT website that uh, in the future it could look at things like capturing uh, data for things like air and noise pollution, so it could be used for social good perhaps, and maybe rolled out to the country in places like that, could it? Or? Yeah, we think so. I mean, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been used for that in, in the US. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, potential ad, you know, advantages to city dwellers in terms of pollution, as you say, uh, traffic alerts. Uh, we're looking at various... Other sort of content opportunities. Sure. Um, so no, it's. I mean, the, the units themselves have been really carefully designed. I, th I think one of the things you were keen to ask me was around the sort of vandalism. Uh, yeah. They, they are bulletproof tested okay. before they're rolled out. I mean, they literally take a, a baseball bat to them. So to date, we've had absolutely no problems with vandalism at all. Uh, in fact, a lot less than we thought we might when a product as shiny and new as uh, as, as they are coming you know, okay. into the street. Okay, right, okay, Let, loads of other stuff to get through. So let's broadly take a look at the out-of-home industry as a whole. Yep. So 2016 figures show that the um, the share of the uh, advertising, um, overall advertising market was 4.5% to 1.1 billion in the UK, and globally occupies about 6% of the market. Uh, but I guess the days of equating outdoor with static billboards by the sides of roads are long gone. So in terms of um, prime site, what, what's the split between traditional and digital uh, ad revenues? Well, we, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're a little bit behind... The, the national, the national, you know, the, the average. Sure. Uh, the reason for that is that a large part of our estate is still classic. Yeah. We still believe that there is uh, a real market for that, and in fact, the demand for our classic estate, which we're the biggest player by some way now in the market, is still very much there. Occupancy runs between 96 and 98 percent, believe it or not. So there is a real demand for cost-efficient national yeah. coverage that the digital market. Is, is not able to provide. That said, uh, we are committed to the development of digital. Yeah. Our, our strategy to date, beyond obviously InLink and what we're doing in, in, in that area, has been really to convert the very best of our large format. So uh, we've got over sort of 85 uh, large format equivalents now, 13 D96s. They're in the best locations, right. we believe, so they get the, the highest scores. Uh, and actually, in theory, we could we could run a bit faster. Right. But we believe it's about quality, not necessarily quantity. Uh, okay. 
so that's that's our sort of take on on digital. Okay, so uh, there's lots to talk about programmatic, and there has been for, for the past few years. So programmatic out of home is repeatedly mentioned. It's going to be the year of programmatic out of home. Uh, but there are some, is it fair to say that it's not going to be a substantial, substantially a substantial part of the market as first envisaged? And that there are a few concerns about how impactful it will be then. So I think, I think the, the, the term programmatic is, is sometimes misplaced. I, I think... For out of home, which let's face it is probably coming to the programmatic automated yeah. period of its uh, its life, is a little bit behind the curve. Yeah. I think the last eighteen months, and I, 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 I take the rest of this year as part of that 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 period, is really about each of the major players developing their own platforms, of which they all are, ourselves included. We have a product called Pilot. Uh, a lot of that's around plugging ourselves into. Uh, those people that we transact with. Yeah. Uh, the term programmatic is probably another 12 to 18 months away. Right. And I think uh, you know there's still a, lo- a lot of work to do before we have a, a fully programmatic uh, okay. proposition. And what percentage of the market will it take? I mean, will it be big or not? Or? A diff- difficult to say. I, th- I okay. think you know programmatic has developed in the way that it has across other sectors. Uh, I, d- I don't see out of home as being. Massively different from that, uh, but I, I do believe that there is still uh, a lot of work to do before we're in a position where we can really look ourselves in the mirror and say we've got a really programmatic proposition. Okay. The other thing I was meaning to ask you was um, quite a, a generic question in a way was about privacy issues with outdoor advertising. Uh, obviously, there are privacy privacy issues with all types of advertising. Obviously, you have personal personalised ads following users around the internet. But I was thinking particularly about the billboard at Piccadilly Circus in central London, yeah. which uses surveillance technology to broadcast ads based on people's ages, gender, and mood—a bit minority report, like if you will. Yeah. Um, so the camera control within the screen is able to identify makes of cars, which would allow brands to target their adverts for particular car users. So, I mean, I guess. Uh, critics could point out that this could be a bit creepy. I mean, do you think, have you had any pushback at all? No, and I, th- I think I can't speak for Piccadilly Circus and, no. and, and what Ocean's approach to that is, but I, but I think uh, it's something to be aware of. I think we're in a position where we, we don't have some of the problems that you know those mm. sectors that you talked about uh, have had just because of the nature of, of, of the product. I think with all these things, we've got to keep an eye on that, and I think certainly prime science view of that would be, you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't go and do anything that we weren't allowed to do without, you know, being sure that it was uh, sure. above board really. So I, I you know, in essence I, I really don't I don't think it has the okay. problems that some of the other sectors do or have had. Okay, so we're going to change in tact very quickly. Um, another big issue across the media industry is gender diversity. Uh, and I think you're going to correct me, uh, maybe I was wrong, but I think Prime Sight's got uh, three of its board members are female at the moment out of eight, yeah. which I guess in the great scheme of things is not too, too bad in terms of representation. No, I think, uh, well, for, firstly, diversity, as with most media companies now, is, is very much on our agenda. We talk yeah. about it in the boardroom. Uh, we're looking at what our approach to diversity is. Uh, I think, meanwhile, we have actually a very healthy blend of gender. We've got 60% women in the business, okay. uh, which perhaps is, is higher average than, than some businesses. Uh, and as you say, uh, three out of the eight board members are women, which is broadly, what, 40% just under. Yeah. Uh, and I think we're always asking ourselves the question as to what, what, what target should we be setting ourselves, not just across gender, but across 
what is a very, very broad subject. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's definitely something that we're. we're oh, it's on, at. Your, it's on your radar. It's okay, yeah. okay. And um, again, this is, uh, crops up frequently in this podcast is the the future of media agencies. Yeah, we talked a lot about that. Obviously, they're under uh, been under a lot of pressure for the past uh, year or so. I mean, obviously, you're someone in terms of um, this job and previous jobs. You've got close relationships with media agencies. You've never had a role where you've actually bypassed the media agencies at all. You've always worked closely with them, and you think they've got a strong future? I think uh, it's it's a really interesting one. I I think they're not without their challenges. You know, uh, there is definitely some challenges to their business model, uh, but that's true of a lot of media companies, whether they're agencies or not. You talk to Mm. most media owners, they've got their own set of challenges as well. all of the agency leads that, that I know and have spoken to specifically feel confident that there is uh, a way through some of the bigger challenges there. Yeah. Um, and let's face it, I think, like any sector, things things are always evolving. Mm. I, I don't think we're about to see the demise of the media agency. I think no. they'll evolve and change and adapt in some way to, to ensure that they are... Uh, profit, profit making businesses that are delivering great output for, for clients and alike. So I think uh, I think it'll be an interesting couple of years to see what happens. There's of course uh, some challenges from new areas, which they're not unaware of. But uh, I, I really don't see um, the consultants necessarily coming okay. in and taking over the world. You think that may be overegged, then? I, I don't know that overegged's the wrong word. I think I think I talk to any any of my uh, source, you know. People running agencies are, are mm. aware of them. They mm. are potentially a threat. But similarly, the question is really, do consultants want to get into that Spanish. part of the market, part of the food chain? And I think the answer is, from all I can see, probably not at this stage. Okay. But you've never personally, you've never worked agency side then? I've never worked agency side, no. Never worked agency side, but always had healthy relationships with clients as well as agencies. Uh, where we work with clients, we work collaboratively with collaboratively with the agency, mm-hmm. um, that's been our policy and will we'll continue to be. Okay, last couple of questions. Uh, MD of Pramsa, as you said, uh, previously worked at Metro, Bloomberg, BBC. Yeah. Um, a bit of a thankless question, this, because so you're also not going to say you're going to move jobs, are you? But have you got any uh, further ambitions at Pramsa or further ambitions in other media? I'd say that the, the, I'm new to the out of home sector. Uh, I, I've long admired it uh, and I wasn't quite sure that I'd ever work in it. I, I'm actually really enjoying it. It's a, it's a really interesting sector. It's in an interesting place mm-hmm. because of where a lot of the development is currently now. There's a lot of road ahead of us. Uh, it's a it's a fascinating market in the sense that a lot of the large players are sort of private equity or, or venture capital is backed, with the exception really of the French. Uh, a lot of questions I get asked around consolidation at some point. Okay. I think uh, possibly, maybe, yes. Uh, it's kind of uh, difficult to, to say what timeline's involved in that. But yeah. you know, when you've got businesses sure. that are run and, and, and owned in that way, then I suppose that at some point is uh, is the inevitable. I, I think in the meantime, we are in such a uh, sharp growth period. It's, mm. it's a really exciting business to be part of. Uh, it has a wonderful culture, a great way of going about stuff. Uh, and genuinely we work really collaboratively with, with, with the specialists predominantly, but also with the wider agency groups. Uh, and we've got, we've got some exciting stuff coming out of this year. Uh, mm. You know, we've won a lot of tenders 
both in terms of the BT but also the airport sector. Yes. Uh, this year and, and next really is about commercialising those. So you mentioned consolidation there. What I mean that could what, we could end up with having what sort of three or four just two, or two or three players or who knows. Who knows? But that's on the cards, then a bit not, like not, the newspaper not, industry. Yeah, not on the cards. I think it's just you know, uh, it's 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 a fact. The fact is that the way that a lot of the uh, out of home uh, companies are are owned sure. means that potentially at some point yeah. now it's not a guarantee that that will happen. It's just make, makes the sector quite exciting. It's quite. It's actually very. Uh, it's a very good at talking to itself. The sector, I think, traditionally, it's getting better at. at Shouting louder about the power of out of home to the to the wider media co- community, but generally everybody seems to get on quite well. Okay. Another question you were quite keen to ask me. Uh, yes, I was. I'll skip that. I'll, I'll tell you what I am going to ask you about, which yes. I didn't ask you, is about the boxing. Ah. Because yes. we had Simon Davis of uh, Blue Four Four Nine, who was in the boxing. He got beat, didn't he? Told me. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get on then? Did you organise it then? Did you? I didn't organise it. No, no, no. I, I, okay. I. Uh, I, I've never done anything like it, probably won't do anything like it again. I, I ended up getting a, hopefully a, a, a well-earned draw uh, against Mr. Chris Forrester. Uh, okay. On the whole, it was a brilliant experience, uh, like nothing else you could ever do, really. The training is very uh, intense, mm. it's sort of quite all-consuming, probably more psychologically than physically, really, which I think I've, I've been on record as saying before, but, but a wonderful thing to be part of, a great charity. John Maloney, who organises it oh, yeah. from Essence, is, is and should be more than congratulated for his efforts of, of putting that event or taking that event from where it started two, three years ago to where it is now. And I think it's going to be even bigger in 2018. So are you doing it? Are you doing it in 2018? I'm not doing it. No. Retired. I've retired. Unbeaten. Right. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us, Matt. Right. That is great. Thank you, John. Thank you. And we are delighted to be joined by the founder of Advertising Week Europe, Matt Schechner. Uh, advertising Europe, which is obviously coming up in March again. Uh, thanks a million for joining me on the podcast for the listeners. Can you, can you just uh, briefly give a potted history of your own career today, please, Matt? Thank you, John, for uh, having us. We're thrilled uh, to be here. Uh, sure. The irony, running Advertising Week uh, all around the world, uh, we're going into our 15th year in New York, our sixth year here in London with Advertising Week Europe, kicking off this year on March 19, yeah. our third year in Tokyo. We just launched last week in Latin America in Mexico City and Sydney to follow later this year, our summer, their winter, uh, July 30 to August 2nd. Uh, the irony here, John, is I never worked in advertising. <laughs> okay. uh, just sort of a New York kid who knows how to do stuff. Yeah. My early career was in sport. I worked and founded the Sports Commission for New York City uh, in 1987 uh, and did that for almost 10 years. Sort of a serial entrepreneur, produced a show off-Broadway, a lot of marketing, sponsorship, PR, intergovernmental affairs, did a lot of sure. special event live work for Radio City Music Hall. The first Super Bowl half times and yeah. the opening ceremony of Arthur Ashe Stadium in 1997, uh, all kinds of stuff. And just got a phone call in the summer of 02 from a friend of mine at DDB, yeah. whose boss was the chair of the 4As, the equivalent of the IPA in the US, yeah. saying, We know the industry's on the edge of a lot of change. Yeah. Nobody really knows what's coming. Yeah. We're looking for a galvanizing idea to bring everyone together, and 
here we are 15 years later. That is a, a more varied career than most of my guests on this podcast. So the Adwit year it's coming up, it starts on March the 19th. Yes. I mean, what's the big difference this year from previous years? It's at the same venue, isn't it, as, as last year? Yeah, I think the there it's sort of uh, the things that uh, people have come to expect, they will yeah. get. Okay. So the Ronnie Scott's Leadership Breakfast Series comes back once again, all new content, of course. Yeah. Same with our lunch series, the Fortnum and Mason Culture and Commerce Lunch Series. All new content, a few new partners there. We're excited about that. Picture House Central, third year at that venue, enables us to be all under one roof. Mm-hmm. All new for this year, TechX. Yeah. Uh, that is our many, many highly curated CES, if you will, yeah. um, that showcases leading edge technologies that are crafted specifically for our industry. CES is terrific, okay. uh, but largely irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, you know, the latest Dyson vacuum cleaner might be cool, but isn't actually relevant. So TechX is highly curated. Uh, we launched it in New York. It was a big success. We did it in Mexico okay. City uh, last week. Another big success. And that will be in an adjacent venue right, right. next, literally right next door to Picture House. And what about in terms of uh, names, people? I mean, is there any, who, who are the big names this yeah, year? Yeah, no, I, I think it's, you know, I think we're heavy on substance, John, so I think you'll see the star power, people from the broader arena of uh, film and popular culture. I saw Alan Parker's name this morning, a legendary director. Yes. Uh, so you'll see that, but I think we really, really try to balance the flash and the substance. Mm. And I think there are real subjects that people want to learn about. I mean, navigating the industry forward is, and thought leadership is the heart of what we do. So you'll see a lot on all the areas that are super timely and topical, okay. uh, artificial intelligence being uh, exhibit A, I suppose. Okay. And what about in terms of attendance numbers? Are they going to be... Uh, more than last year or the same? Yeah, and what I, about sponsors too? I, don't... I think, uh, you know, the, the, listen, the idea is to keep getting better. Sure. And uh, however you define better, yeah. uh, that's what we're looking to do. So okay. I think year two was better than year one. Year three was better than year two. And I think the goal is for year six to be stronger than year five. From an attendance vantage point, we're not making the program any bigger. I think we we sort of feel mm. like in terms of the number of seminars and mm. the number of concurrent activities, mm. um, we're sort of where we should be. Mm. The evening events, uh, we don't have a lot of rules, but we won't do two things at the same time for the same demographic. Mm. So we're very mindful of that. Um, in some cases, by design, one or two things is actually going to get a little smaller. The opening gala, for example, which has been yeah. in places like St. Paul's Cathedral and St. Mm. James's Palace and last year uh, Guild Hall, uh, St. James's mm. last year, in New York, places like the UN, Radio City. It's gotten a little big, big, a little unwieldy. So this year we're going back to sort of the earlier days of the gala when it was a smaller, more intimate. And we're thrilled to have it at Vogue House for the first time this year, another icon of the industry here in London. That's the Condé Nast so, building, yeah. Yes, okay. it is. Oh, right. And uh, But the big concerts at Coco, those will be back. Our late night events at Ronnie Scott's, the big mistake, the industry-led comedy event, uh, our Vivo Emerging Artists event at Ronnie Scott's late. Mm-hmm. Um, all those things will be back. And the evening dinners, all of which are handcrafted each year and the venues vary, um, those will be uh, back, but all different venues. So, for example, we're going to Borough Market for the first time. We're very excited okay. about that yeah. with Google and the Marketing Society. And one year after the incident on Westminster Bridge, we yeah. really wanted to do something uh, 
on the south side of the river. That's the reason you're doing it then, is it? Yes, it is. Right, okay, that is interesting. And just in terms of the picture house, you're, you're committed to being there long term in the future, are you? Or? Well, we love picture house. Right. Uh, we are bursting at the seams. We're the only private hire they do. You know, when we moved there, they had not even yet opened. Yeah. Um, we started at BAFTA, as you might recall, and we expanded beyond the BAFTA building to the St. James Piccadilly Church, which was wonderful. We built that building in the courtyard behind BAFTA way back when, which was certainly ambitious. Uh, you know, I hope that we can continue to stay at Picture House. It's really a real estate issue. Mm. That's our biggest challenge. Mm. Uh, in Mexico City, we were at the Papalote, which is a children's museum, mm. and it was a real campus. There was yeah. outdoor space. There were multiple buildings. In Sydney, we'll be at Luna Park, which is literally a theme park. Right, okay. right on the uh, uh, right on the waterfront. It's magnificent, and mm. you have physical space. Mm. New York has been a problem mm. with regard to venue. We have not been able to get it under one roof. We may have found something for this year that will enable us to do that up by Lincoln Center. Uh, but we love Picture House. It does get us under one roof, which makes it easier for everybody. Mm. Uh, but we are space constrained. Okay. And um, I mean, I think you have given an interview in the past, perhaps last year, when you talked about the possible impact of Brexit. Yes. When you posited the idea that it could move out of um, could move out of London. Is that, I mean, is there any update to that? I guess. Well, I, I, no think, I think Gideon took a little license in his headline. We love London. Right. And we are, uh, our plan, our intent, our desire is mm. to stay here for the long term. Mm. Um, like everyone else, we are aware of what's happening. Similarly, in the United States, you know, you can't be an American citizen and not be aware of how the politics of Washington are affecting the image of brand America, for mm. example. Yeah. You can't be here in business and be unaware of the impacts of Brexit. And the reality is none of us know what is going to happen, but I think uncertainty is not mm. particularly good for business. Mm. Uh, and we see that as does everybody who's mm. based here. We have actually been working with a number of parties in the public and private sector here because we feel that creative industry is and will continue to be a real strength of the UK and London. Mm. You know, I remember the very first meeting we had here when Paul Baines Fair and the IPA was kind enough to give me an audience to speak to his leadership committee. Um, we talked about how the UK and global creative industry punches way above its weight. Sure, yeah. Whether you're part of Europe or not part of Europe, yeah. that won't change. So we love right. London and our hope is to be here for many, many years to come. Under what circumstances could you move out of London then? If there's a, uh, what would that be? If it's, it becomes too I, expensive, if there's a... Yeah, yeah, I mean, listen, I think if the thing heads south, but I, I don't think we're heading south. I feel like, you know, we're battling. We battled mm. last year to make year five stronger than year four. Mm. We're battling hard to make year six better than year five. Um, we've developed a lot of long-term relationships and friendships here. Uh, we love the city. The venues here are the best that we have in the world. Mm. Um, we've had a tremendous highlight film here. You know, whether it's bringing over someone like an Al Gore, who we had on the program last year, or James Corden, or Nile Rodgers, or or Steve Coogan, or Salma Hayek, or Stanley Tucci, or mm. Sir Martin Sorrell on stage with Bernie Eccleston a few years ago, which was you know really, really just you know fascinating. So uh, we love it here. Our goal is to stay. You know, I guess in, in any business, you never say never. 
Mm. But I can tell you that while we are growing Advertising Week globally, Mexico City last week being Exhibit A, um, there is no plan to move out of London. Okay. Just uh, taking one step back, publicists obviously made a high-profile stance not to attend Cannes sure. this year to save costs. Um, I mean, what have you noticed any reining back from the big holding groups in terms of spend, in terms of your events or not? Or, or not? Well, we're a very different business and a very different platform than Cannes. You know, Cannes is a destination-based event. Mm. It is geared largely for senior people, and their business model, of course, is geared around the awards. Mm. Advertising Week purposefully is in the world's largest markets. We're in New York 1, London 2, Tokyo 3. Mexico is the logical gateway for South America and Latin America. And Sydney, similarly to the UK, we're going there because they also punch above their weight in terms of global influence between Australia and New Zealand. Mm. Uh, Not based on market size, a little irrational based on market size to be going there. We're also down the road on being first to Africa. That's a big priority for us as well. Um, so I think our model is very different. Advertising Week is for everyone. You know, mm. if you're 30 or under, mm. you can go to Advertising Week for 100, mm. 100 pounds. Mm. Can is thousands, even mm. at the reduced price. Mm. It is thousands and thousands of euros for the credential. I won't tell you our thought leadership program is better than mm. can. That's mm. not for us to say which is better. But we are absolutely in the same ring, punching as an equal heavyweight. Mm. alongside them when you look at the caliber of our thought leadership mm. program and the caliber of theirs. Mm. There are many things that we do differently. Mm. You know, They will make one or two or some limited number of the, of the seminars in Cannes available for live stream. We make all of ours available and it's all free. Okay. So it is a democratic spirit that fuels what we do. We have a youthful energy that nobody else has. Mm. There isn't something in the world in any B2B event that gives you as much for as little money Mm. as what Advertising Week does. And that's by design. So we are thus less subject Mm. to getting hurt Mm. by, you know, something like one or two of the holding companies, Mm. you know, saying, hey, I've had enough. So you don't think Cannes has got a rosy future then by the sound of it? No, you know what, uh, John, you know, perhaps this will surprise you, but... I, I, I think they'll do fine. Okay. I think they run a good business. I think they're serious people. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who like the trip. Mm. They're all the people that want to go to Ducap, that want to go to Column Door, mm. uh, that want to have, you know, the you know, A-list pop stars in a villa, you know, and entertain clients. And I think people do it because they believe it's good for their business. Mm. Um, I think they run a good business and we wish them all the best. Okay. So before you touched on Washington's impact on Brand America? Yes. So did you mean a negative impact then? Uh, Severely negative. In fact, we crafted a seminar at Advertising Week in New York a few months ago called Red, White and Blue, question mark. Uh, We commissioned some original research about the impact of what's happening Mm. um, led by our president, uh, uh, painful to say, our president out loud, referring to Donald Trump, but he mm. is our president. And uh, there is a uh, enormous negative impact on brand America and American brands. Mm. We are plummeting down the hit charts in terms of where we stand globally. Mm. Tourism to America and to my city, New York, is down for mm. the first time in years. 
uh, and uh, this is just the beginning. So this we is hope a, it will be short-lived, but well, there is no question that this is not helpful to brand America. What you hope his presidency will be short-lived, or I think that Robert Mueller is a very serious guy, and I think uh, that uh, he's guilty, and I think he will be found out. Right. So, in terms of the the negative impact of. Um, Brand America has that impacted sales on your events or anything like that? Then no, or? no. I mean, we're we're not, you know, we're f- not at all. Um, I, I think Advertising Week has a real positive spirit about mm. it. I think one of the things that happens uh, is it makes a lot of people smile and feel good about the business that they're in. Mm. At the same time. We have never shied away from talking about real issues. Sure. So we talk about trust and transparency. We mm. talk about um, things like Brexit and Brand America. We did a great series last year with The Week, uh, yeah. Every Day at Noon, a debate, and a lot of it was around Brexit. And we don't take a position. My job is not to be sure. on the right or the left. Our job is to uh, have the real conversations, and in some cases, issues that all of a sudden have become hot issues. You know, we've been talking about for years, Mm. um, gender equity, diversity and inclusion, sustainability. Um, You know, I I like to say on the merits that we were there before these issues were, you know, quote, popular. Mm. And sometimes something moves into the spotlight because of, you know, a particular incident or series Mm. of incidents. Um, you know, when you look at what happened with, the, you know, pe- the Harvey Weinsteins of the world. Yeah, sure. But, you know, I was very proud this year. The first seminar in New York was Ariana Huffington on stage with Frances Fry. She's from Harvard and is going in at a very high level at Uber to address the challenges yeah. of their culture uh, and as to how they treat women. So we've been on that horse for a long time and it's because of who we are and what we believe. Mm, okay, so you mentioned the gender pay gap. That's obviously certainly a big issue for advertising agencies in the UK. Yes. Does that continue to be a big issue? Is that being addressed in the US? Or yes, it is. It? Listen, I think everyone struggles, mm. uh, not just our industry, but pay equity, uh, gender equity, diversity, which is defined different ways. Diversity mm. here largely refers to men and women. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are Karen, there are a few Nishma Rob at, at Google, there are a few dynamic people mm. of color in the industry, but this industry is predominantly white mm. in the UK. Mm. Uh, in the US, diversity uh, refers not just to gender, but also much more so overtly, if you will, to a black, Latino, Asian, mm. etc. So. I think the industry has an opportunity and an obligation to, for its makeup at all levels to reflect the makeup mm. of society at large. Mm. You know, America is soon going to be more than 50% not white. Mm. So if you're in the advertising business, you do not want to dismiss roughly 50% of your customers. That's just a bad business idea. Mm. So I think a lot of leaders here, the AA, uh, led by Steve Woodford, mm-hmm. uh, Paul Baines Fair and the IPA, mm. uh, the Marketing Society, Gemma, Isba, Phil, and that team, I think there are a lot of very serious people who recognize that diversity, no matter how you define it, mm. has to be a higher priority and that they're trying to move the needle, but these things take time, it's not easy. Mm. Um, and, uh, 
you know, we are happy to leverage our platform to further those conversations any way we can. Okay, so you touched on Harvey Weinstein there, and um, obviously there's been the, the Me Too movement, it's obviously yes. been a big thing across the world, uh, in terms of Hollywood, and it's also hit politics as well. Are you surprised there's been um, not more cases or revelations in the added industry, or more people coming out in support of uh, Me Too? There has been some high-profile cases, hasn't there? But, I mean, did, did, are you surprised there's not been more? I'd imagine there are some people who are nervous. That's just logic. Um, listen, I think what's going on is a reflection not just of Hollywood, mm. um, but this is a reflection of a cultural problem. Mm. I remember many years ago when I was involved in sport early in my career, mm. uh, we were able to negotiate a deal for an amateur boxing club, the Jerome Boxing Club in the South Bronx, to... Uh, stay in a building mm. that was, the city was about to condemn. Mm. And I remember the woman that ran the club said, you know, Matt, we have 1,500 kids who come through our program sure. and none of them test dirty for drugs. None of them, you know, uh, end up in jail. That boxing is the route that saves these kids, much like what the Roundhouse does here in terms of affording, you know, opportunities for young people does keep these kids off the streets. If you took 1,500 lawyers, 1,500 mm. doctors, 1,500 accountants, you would have more that you know, couldn't pass a drug test or were doing something wrong than these 1,500 you know, poor black kids from the South Bronx who are now boxing at the Jerome Avenue Boxing Club. So I think our industry is not immune when you have mm. a power structure, when you have senior people who are in a position to take advantage of junior people. I think it's that. I think it's what's happening mm. is it's it's everywhere. So there's too many senior male people in advertising. I think that where you have senior people who are get a little wacky and a little full of themselves mm. and uh, are not, you know, listen. The world ultimately there's good people and bad people. Sure, yeah. there are not only good and bad people in Hollywood. There are mm. not only good and bad people in the television business or the. Uh, you know, or someone like a platform like an Amazon where Roy Price, you mm. know, lost his job. Mm. So, um, you know, how many more people will surface? Seems like every day there's something mm. new. But I think, you know, the old boys will be boys. I think those days are over. That's mm. probably a good thing. Yeah. You know, I think at best, I mean, uh, you know, of course it's a good thing. And um, I think people are very aware of it. And I hope the pendulum will swing back and... You know, that everybody will be protected, whether you're male, female, whether you were victimized by Kevin Spacey and you were a 14-year-old boy, mm. or whether you are a young, you know, 21-year-old, um, you know, account mm. exec, mm. male, female, you know, whatever you might be, billy goat, you know, llama, mm. nobody should feel threatened mm. in the workplace. Well, Cindy Gallup famously said she talked about to end the Harvey Weinsteins of our industry once and for all. So, I mean, do, do you think there's a whole bunch of Harvey Weinsteins in the ad industry? I or? think that our industry is reflective of society yeah. in general, and I think there are very likely some people who have done some things they shouldn't have done. Okay. One thing I ne just rewind. One thing I neglected to ask you when we talked about Adweek Europe in London is: there, um, Do you, while you're here, I mean, do you spend time meeting politicians and things like that, or not? Or do you? Will you meet? Yes, we do, and uh, we're particularly close um, with a number of folks in Parliament. And uh, it's not quite in politics, I would say. Uh, I guess, uh, but uh, we enjoy a particularly a warm relationship 
with um, the Duke of York and what he does with Pitch at the Palace, promoting British entrepreneurs. And um, we will be showcasing a lot of the pitch winners at Advertising Week Europe this year in March at Picture House Central. Okay. Uh, again, starting uh, Monday, March 19. Yeah. Uh, and I think the media won't give him an inch of credit, uh, but what he has done to promote young entrepreneurs, not just in yeah. the UK, but in China, in Latin America, in Australia. Yeah. These are incredible stories. We, Lance, my business partner, and I uh, attended uh, Pitch of the Palace in Beijing last year. And all the ideas are brilliant. But you know, we watched somebody with technology in robotics mm. who could not walk. We watched somebody get out of a wheelchair and walk. Really? It was amazing. And so uh, I think a lot of the future here, whether you're part of Europe or not, mm. you know which way that wind is blowing. You know, young entrepreneurs, startups, creative people, that plays to the UK strength. I think there's a very ambitious plan. I'm sure you know about the big meeting of the Commonwealth. It's here in mid-April. Right. And I think while the politicians can't seem to... Uh, get it together, shall we say. Yeah. I think there are a lot of very smart people focused on the future. Yeah. Um, and that one way or another, the sun will rise. He does get bad um, media coverage, uh, the Duke of York. He's gaff prone now, I think, occasionally, isn't he? Well, listen, uh, uh, of course. And I think there's a whole industry that's built on waiting for people to slip. Mm. Uh, but, uh, you know, we don't have the doorstepping concept in America. I, personally, I think it's, you know, quite humorous. Uh, but, and of course, I've never been doorstep, thank God. So, um, you know, the media is aggressive and that's the culture here. Uh, but I think if you look at what Pitch in the Palace is and what the Duke is doing mm. and his team led by his uh, private secretary, Amanda Thirsk, who is just, you know, world class. Um, I think there's a great, great story there that should be told in a much bigger way. Fantastic stuff. Last couple of questions. You mentioned Adweek Africa. When's that happening then? Is that So we're actually going to Cape Town Friday night. Uh, we have meetings in Cape Town and Johannesburg next week. Yeah. We announced that we will be going to Africa at the opening gala in New York a few months ago at Radio yeah. City Music Hall. Um, it Realistically, it'll be 2019. Yeah. We're trying to balance out the calendar, the sort of our calendar, the global calendar. And then things like, you know, religious holiday, bank holiday, school holiday, all those things. So Mexico was originally supposed to be in November. Yeah. And the, when they had the earthquake down there, nothing was happening in November. Um, so th m unlike most who had things scheduled in Mexico and just canceled them, yeah. we did not cancel. We okay. rescheduled. We just finished literally a few days ago, Thursday night. Um, and people seem to like the timing mm. of being in Q1 mm. in Mexico City. So we're trying to balance that out. Um, London will stick, you know, late March, early April. Yeah. Uh, Japan uh, is uh, after Golden Week there in uh, second half of May. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going to Sydney July 30 to August 2nd. Mm -hmm. That's the only place in the world where we could do something there that time of year because that's their winter. Yeah. You know, their yeah, summer is sure. December, yeah. January. Yes. Sure, so, yes. uh, and then, of course, the 15th year anniversary in New York, which this year is October 1. Okay. So we're trying to balance it all out. Okay. And just with Adweek Europe, I guess the plan is to, to continue in London, but in terms of size and in terms of attending numbers, you're sort of plateauing then. It's not well, going to... I think we're trying to put more Europe in the Europe. So where there'll be an increase, 
will be the number and types of folks coming from France, from Germany, from Spain, from Italy, yeah. from Scandinavia, um, from other parts of the world. So I think there's a lot of growth there. So I think in terms of the number of delegates and attendees, mm. I think we, we are working hard to ensure continued growth. I don't think the program in terms of the number of seminars, the number of mm. concurrent stages, the number of activities that happen at night, um, simply because you know, there's just so many hours in the day and we never want to be in a position where there are two concerts at the same time. Sure. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, there, you know, we've sort of hit the wall everywhere, but I expect us to continue to grow and go north of 40,000 this year. Brilliant. Right. Thanks a million. That's excellent. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, Matt. That's great.